So, buckle your seatbelts, folks. I confess to my wife that uh, after researching and preparing for this morning's sermon, I could probably write a book. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. <laughs> my buddy Floyd would be glad that he's not here. <laughs> yeah, I miss him. Oh, we had good times. How are we going to preach today? Forever, buddy, forever. Yeah, well, I am not going to preach forever, uh, but I, you may, I'm, hopefully you won't feel like it either, okay? Uh, this, what I'm about to talk about is not really part of the sermon, but it came up in my research so many times, I thought, you know, I really got to talk about this because it's important. Uh, when I was in school, the, my, I, all my professors said, if I talk about something more than once, it will definitely be on the test. Oh. If I talk about it three times, it's not only going to be on the test, it'll be on the final. If I talk about it like four times, you're going to need to know it in life. <laughs> this is something we need to know in life, if I understand Jesus correctly. Because uh, this came up like four times. As I was... Uh, in conversations and in studying uh, this week. Uh, this is nowhere in anybody's notes or, or anything, so this is, this is, uh, uh, you can look it up in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Uh, James has a lot to say about the way we use our tongues. Um, and he says, in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, using the New Living Translation, he says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now, what, okay, why are you talking about this? I'll tell you why I'm talking about this. Our world is held captive in a stronghold of criticism. And not only is it our world, it, it's, our, it's Christians, it's me, it's you, whether you want to admit it or not, it, it's everywhere. We fall into, it's so easy. Well, you don't know what they said about me. Yeah, I do know. Well, no, maybe I don't know, but I know what. It's everywhere. People are judging everything. I was something, somebody said something on, if you watch social media, it's hilarious. Somebody will say, I like oranges. And somebody will get mad at them because they don't like apples. And they said, I didn't say I didn't like apples. I said I liked oranges. Well, obviously, you don't like apples because you didn't say you liked apples. If you express some kind of an opinion, somebody's going to assume or criticize you for it. If you, if you, uh, if you, it's everywhere, and it's in the church. 
Uh, and and, and <coughs> folks, I see it all the time. We, and it's so hard for us not to start tearing people down that we don't understand or we disagree with. And this is the thing that kept coming up in my research. Because we are talking about, today we're going to talk about uh, where do you turn when you don't know what to pray or how to pray? And this is one of the things that kept coming up. Nothing seems to give Satan a free hand more than the spirit of criticism. Of all the weapons in Satan's arsenal, this one certainly is one of the greatest. In truth, what prayer means to God, rebellion and the spirit of criticism mean to Satan. I'm going to read that last line again because every time I do, it kind of smacks me between the eyes. In truth, what prayer means to God, and how many of us believe prayer is important to God? <clears throat> what prayer means to God, rebellion and a spirit of criticism mean to Satan. Now somebody might be thinking to themselves, well, that certainly is an overstatement. Okay, maybe. Let me tell you, uh, I thought about this a lot. This is one of the things I, I, I know about me. I'm an analyzer. I, I think about all kinds of stuff. I, I analyze everything. So I, I thought about this. What, what exactly does that mean? Why would it be so important to him? Why, why would criticism be so important to Satan? Do you know what Satan means? The word, the name, means accuser. So every time we criticize, we're speaking his language. Now what do we know about Jesus, folks? Uh, okay, I'll remind you. Jesus, his name means God saves, right? And what is he doing? We know there's, that he's doing, well, we know from two verses in particular in, in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8 and in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 7, we are told he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So we have two options for our language as people. As human beings, we can either speak the language of Jesus and intercede for people, and pray for God's best and his blessings on them, or we can criticize them and accuse them. Okay, so I said our whole world is captive in this stronghold, this, this mindset of criticism. How do we get out of it? Well, Every stronghold, every one of these mindsets is based on a lie from the devil and the devil and the Satan. And it's basically the, the lie that this one is built on is that I have the right to judge other people. To which James said, 
what right do you have to judge your neighbor? That's God's job. Okay, so the first thing we do is renounce the lie. I do not have the right to judge anyone. And the next thing we do is we announce the truth in prayer and in action. And by that, in this situation, it is with the Spirit's help, I will love others as Jesus loves me and will not criticize them. which I am adding, Holy Spirit, stop me whenever I start until it stops being a habit. I, we, I grew up in the church. We used to talk about the Spirit checking us. Now, I don't know a whole lot about hockey, but I do know that when somebody checks you in hockey, they usually knock you upside the head really hard. Is that right? People that know hockey? Nobody else knows about hockey? <laughs> I'm in Michigan and nobody knows about hockey in this group. Okay, well, somebody write in and tell me about hockey. But from what I've seen, if you get checked, uh, especially if you get checked into the boards on the side, it, you usually get knocked down. Uh, so I, for, for people like me, I need to be checked like that. Some people need to be checked gently. The Holy Spirit knows exactly how to check us, to stop us. You may need to be gently. Uh, I, I'm reminded in the, the old Puritan churches in New England, the ushers had a particularly interesting tool for keeping people awake during the three and four hour sermons. A long pole. On one end, a metal ball for the men. Guys went to sleep, they got knocked in the head with a big metal ball. On the other hand, a little feather duster, a little feather to tickle the nose of the women who go so. It was so nice, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit knows whether you need to be tickled with a feather or smacked upside the head with a metal ball. I don't know which it is, but this is the truth. We need to renounce the lie. We do not. I do not have the right to judge others. That's God's job. And if you started to say, but you don't know what they're doing, I'm going to say it again. You and I do not have the right, regardless of what they're doing. We do not have the right to judge them. That's God's job. And with the Holy Spirit's help from now on, we will, as God's people, love them as Jesus loves us and ask him to check us in whatever way he sees fit. If we try to or start to. Okay, since that came up so many times, I felt like I needed to needed to share that. Let's pray. 
Then we'll start the message. King Jesus, give each one of us a humble, teachable heart. A heart that's eager to listen. Soften our hearts and make us ready to welcome your comforting or your challenging words. Help us to obey and understand what you say. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning, either online or on site. Appreciate the fact you decided to be part of this uh, time of worship. Uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, we are in a series uh, prayer on prayer, depend, our, declaring our dependency on God. And uh, today we're talking about uh, where do you turn when you don't know what to pray? And uh, we had a couple examples in our Bible readings this morning. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem until you receive what God promised you. And so after Jesus ascended into heaven, they went back to Jerusalem and 120 of them got together and had a prayer meeting for about 10 days. 10 day prayer meeting. But then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. They received power to become witnesses, to be witnesses for Jesus. Ezekiel. I love the story of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Son, can these bones live? Ezekiel's answer is, Lord, only you know the answer to that. He's smart enough to not say no. And not to say yes. Because the only answer is, Lord, what do you want to do? And the Lord says, prophesy, pray, proclaim. This is what I want you to do. Tell these bones they're going to have flesh and bone. They're going to have muscles and they're going to have flesh. And then proclaim that they're going to have breath. And now they have an army. Now this is what I'm going to do for the people of Israel. And as we were hearing that this morning, some of us need to hear that for us. As we're coming through what I hope is the, the last, the tail end of the pandemic craziness. We're so tempted to think in terms of dry bones Woe is me, and we're all dead, and it's nothing, nothing, it's all over. Remember Ezekiel's answer. Lord, you know. Now, when we hear stories about people, particularly now, we hear stories about men and women who hear God speak to them, we, we often wonder about their. Uh, Mental health. Uh, but according to Dr. Maria uh, Learman, a psychological anthropologist at Stanford University, uh, 
that's not necessarily a bad thing to hear God speak to you. She says, uh, she tells a joke in her blog. She says, when you talk to God, we call it prayer. When God talks to you, we call it schizophrenia. But then, uh, in, in a special report for CNN, she goes on to say that there's supporting scientific analysis of Christians who claim that they've heard God speak to them. And she concludes by saying this, science cannot tell us whether God generated the voice that Abraham heard, but it can tell us that many of these events are normal. Part of the fabric of human perception. And then she concludes with an example She said, when Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. sat at his kitchen table in the winter of 1956, terrified by the fear of what might happen to him and his family because of the Montgomery bus boycott that was going on, he heard the voice of Jesus say to him, I will be with you. And he went forward. Now, that's a rare event. Even in the Bible, it, it was a rare event for people to hear God's voice. So what happens most of the time to most of us when we don't hear God's voice? Where can we turn when we don't know what or how to, how to pray? I've noticed uh, over... I, I have spent a lot of time in church and with church people in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, like three days after I was born, I was in church. So, so one of the joys of growing up uh, with pastors for parents, you can't escape church. Uh, there are a couple of things I've noticed, a couple of responses when people don't know what to pray or how to pray, uh, one response is, well, if I'm not sure, I'm just not going to pray. Okay. I'm going to take you back to James chapter 4. Uh, the same chapter that tells us not to judge people also says that if we ask not, we'll have not. So the guaranteed, the guaranteed to making sure that your prayer will not be answered is to never pray. So I, I guess saying, if I'm unsure, unsure I'm not going to pray, is probably not a good answer. No, I'm not going to pray. It's not a good answer. The other answer is to just name it and claim it. Just pick a Bible verse and tell God what to do. Get as many of your friends together and you... You know, if you get like 25 people together all praying the same thing, God's got to do it. Okay, you, you need a bigger God. If, if your God's afraid of 25 people, I'm not afraid of your God. I mean, I... I am pretty sure that the God I serve, the God who created everything out of nothing, 
could take on the entire human race, every one of us that's ever been born in all of time and space, and all of us could, together could gang up on him and he would laugh at us. Now that may sound harsh, but I think it's truth. You can't make God do anything God doesn't want to do. I mean, if I'm stubborn, and some of you are too, and he actually has the right to be stubborn because he's the one who's actually in charge. Can there be a better way? Can, there's got to be a better way than not praying or just grabbing a Bible verse and trying to beat God over the head with it. Now, I, yeah, I know, those are extremes. But Jesus used extremes to illustrate things too, so it's okay. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul talked about this very problem. He said, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Another way that Romans 8.26 can be translated is in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how we should pray. Uh, the, Paul originally wrote this in an old Greek language, an old version of Greek. I mean, it was 2,000 years ago, so he couldn't write it in modern Greek, right? That's right. He had to write it in, in, in the Greek of his time, and it's translated into English, and, and in that that language, it could mean we don't know what to pray or we don't know how to pray. Now some of us want to go, well, which one did he mean? Yes. And the answer, yes. Exactly. He meant both. We don't know often what to pray or how to pray. We, we don't know. But the Spirit himself intercedes with with us, with inexpressible groans. The Holy Spirit helps us. So where can we turn when we don't know what or how to pray? The Holy Spirit helps us know what or how to pray so that we can pray according to God's will. So how does that work? Well, I'm, we'll get to how that works in a moment. I just wanted to make sure, I wanted to share some witnesses. I, I told you I did some research. So here, here's some of the research that I showed up. Uh, I have some witnesses to testify that Paul's not crazy. Uh, so we know, well, of course, Paul's not crazy. He wrote in the Bible, but just in case. Mark Batterson, in, in his book, Draw the Circles, wrote, one of the biggest misconceptions about prayer is that it means outlining our agenda to God as a divine to-do list. The, the true purpose of prayer is to get into God's presence so he can outline his agenda for us. 
Dick Eastwood stated in his book on prayer called No Easy Road, God's will and truth becomes the key to all effective prayer. We must seek above all else God's will. In their book, Hearing God's Voice, Henry and Richard Blackaby said, intercessors do not set the agenda for their praying. God does. Without first hearing God speak, you cannot intercede. Max E. Dunham announced, Prayer becomes most powerful when I am willing to give up control and surrender my future to God. Kind of reminds me of Jesus' prayer in the garden. Father, if you can't take this cup from me, but if not, your will be done, not mine. And some of you are not going to be surprised. I'm going to quote my devote, one of my favorite devotional writers, J.D. Wall. He points out that discipleship to Jesus means learning to pray in agreement with Jesus, in union with the mind of Christ. This does not come to us naturally. It must come supernaturally. Here's the sermon in the sentence. To answer the question, how do we... How do we know? How does the Holy Spirit help us? The Spirit, Holy Spirit speaks most often and most clearly through the Bible. There are many situations where we do not know what or how to pray. And in those instances, it will be tempting for some of us simply not to pray or to just pray what we think would be best in that circumstance or what we think would be most honoring and most glorifying to God. But the Holy Spirit helps us so that we can pray according to God's will. And he speaks to us through the Bible. And the Holy Spirit speaks most often and most clearly through the Bible. So God's pattern for prayer goes something like this. The Spirit gives us the desire to pray. The Spirit reveals God's will, His way, and His purpose through the Bible. See, the Spirit, again, I want to remind you, the Spirit speaks most clearly and most often through the Bible. The Spirit, number three, the Spirit helps us pray in agreement with Jesus. And when we pray, the Spirit helps us see God at work in answer to those prayers. Number five, we adjust our thinking and actions to the Spirit's guidance. He begins to show us, okay, this is the way. Walk in it. Oh, I'm running out of fingers on that hand. Then we obey the Spirit. As he shows us that we need to adjust our thinking and our actions, we obey him. And then the Spirit works in and through us so that we experience God in a new and a fresh way. That's God's pattern for prayer. And what is our pattern for prayer is really short. We want to pray and get the answer. Two steps. Thank you very much. 
I pray, you answer. Now let's move on to the next thing. And God says, woo, time out. This is about you and I getting to know each other. The answer and stuff, that's kind of like extra. Icing on the cakes, gravy on the potatoes. I know, some of you are getting hungry now. Sorry. That, that's, that's, that's a side thing. The main thing is that you pray, you get to know me, you get to experience me, and then we do it again. And our relationship gets deeper and deeper. The Holy Spirit speaks most often and most clearly through the Bible. And so, <clears throat> author Peter Lundell says we need to take time to discern God's what God's will may be. And not be fearful of correction. See, that's one of our problems. We want to make sure, some of us, I, I confess this recently, I, I'm the firstborn son. Firstborn children have a tendency to be perfectionists. I didn't say that out loud, but those of us who are firstborns know that we tend to be perfectionists. We always want to please people, well, particularly mom and dad, and I was the child of two perfectionists. My mother literally told me, that she was raised believing that anything less than 100 on anything she did for school was a failure. I tried not to laugh. I did. I think I smiled. I, I'm pretty sure I didn't laugh out loud because I didn't get, like, you know, the art stick. I'm sorry. I figured anything that was like in the B plus a minus range was like cool. And so I, I was raised by, by two perfectionists who thought like anything like a hundred had you had to shoot for a hundred and if you didn't make it and, and I tend to be a perfectionist. And so to think that I have to find God's will before I pray is scary. What if I'm wrong? And I, I needed to find this guy who had the Holy Spirit whisper in his ear, it's okay to get it wrong the first time. I'll fix it. I'll help you understand. So you only get it 50% right. We'll tweak it. Well, some of you are still a little worried about that, and I understand. So you're, you're going, well, what, what if I just, I, I'm, I'm afraid, and I don't have any idea. So here, until you have an idea of what God's will might be, <coughs> until you have an idea of what God's will might be, you can follow Jesus' directions. And he's the one who said, pray this way, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or, simply put, Father, your will be done in this thing. I don't know what it is yet. I want to know what you want me to pray for specifically. But until I know, your will be done in this just the way it is in heaven. Period. 
I'm not giving you advice. I'm not giving you suggestions. I just want your will. Some of you are still a little scared about this prayer thing. Just. So I want to share some some more thoughts from my friend. Well, I, I don't know him personally, but I like him a lot. So I'm going to call him my friend, Mark Batterson. First name's Mark. He's got to be okay. Ah. Uh, he writes, God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. Simply put, God won't do it unless we pray for it. Or as James said, we have not because we ask not. The greatest tragedy in life are the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. Now here's the good news. If you pray, all bets are off. If you pray, all bets are off. You can live with holy anticipation because you never know how or when or where God is going to answer and his answers are not limited by your requests. We pray out of our ignorance, but God answers out of his infinite knowledge. We pray out of our impotence, our weakness, but God answers out of his limitless power. Now to him who was able to do infinitely more than we dare to dream or ask, be glory now and forever in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says, by the way. Where will you turn when you don't know what or how to pray? Well, let's turn to the Holy Spirit. When we don't know and we're not sure, the prayer can be simple. Dear Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. No more, no less. Amen. If you have a situation in your life where you need the Holy Spirit's help to know what or how to pray and you would like I want to invite you to feel free to come forward Aaron and I would like to pray for you God will help you understand what to pray now Please feel free to come forward if you'd like.
As you go to live as sent ones, may the beauty of Jesus shine in your eyes. May the love of Jesus shine in your actions. May the wisdom of Jesus shine in your words. May the grace of Jesus flow from your heart. Amen. Go. You are sent. Thank you.